Oh, thank you, Dedre. What another beautiful song. We're so glad that you are with us today and inviting us to see a world, see a world with one another that works for everyone. See that world in your mind. But here at Unity, we take very seriously the idea that it is more than just each of us seeing that world. We must actually live into and be that world that we want to see. And that is what we are talking about here every Sunday, but especially so during our fall program of See No Stranger. I want to begin today with a quote from Imelda Shanklin, which I found on Truth Unity, that I think really speaks to what we are about here and why we are doing this work of revolutionary love, of seeing no stranger. Imelda reminds us, one who prays understandingly for one who does not understand, sets, so to speak, a beacon of flame in the Stygian morass to which the wanderer comes, and by that light, kindles his extinguished torch. So right there, that idea that we are each that light of God that is here shining, our light brilliantly being that love, that revolutionary love with each one that we meet, and that if you and I do that, others come to us and light their own light of remembrance within themselves. Imelda goes on to say, we must ask the mind of God to remember in us that each soul is yielding as fully as it knows how to be the expression of God. As we have gone through these weeks of See No Stranger, I have reminded us that Valerie sees this revolutionary love process as one, if you will, that has three legs to one stool. We began talking about that leg of the other. We must ask the mind of God to remember in us that each soul is yielding as fully as it knows how. And so when we look out into the world and see that one that we would describe as other, we are invited to wonder, to wonder about their life and to wonder about their experience and to wonder how they too are coming to understand and express that divine light of God that they are. Each of us remembering that they are yielding as fully as they know how. See no stranger in an other is the first leg of the stool, but we cannot remain in this place of only loving the other, only extending that love out to those that we would describe as other, because that will be ineffective, Valerie reminds us. And so in addition to that loving, revolutionary loving of other through seeing no stranger, through keeping our eyes open in wonder, we are also invited into that second leg of that stool. And that is the revolutionary love of opponents. Those whose very ideas are different than our own. Those whose worldviews might be 180 degrees from the way that we see the world. What about those others that we want to push away in defense? We've spent two weeks looking at that and talking about the idea that first we must allow ourselves into the experience of the rage that might arise from within us as we see ideas of injustice playing out within our world and that this is first where we must begin not to deny that rage that we're feeling but to allow that rage to be that which moves us as we allow ourselves to experience 
the feelings that arise when we experience injustice in our lives or in the world. But we can't stay there either. The act of revolutionary love with our opponents, while it does need us to acknowledge the feelings, we can't stay stuck in those feelings. And so we move to revolutionary love when we listen deeply to that one that we would describe as opponent. Again, bringing back into mind these words from Amalda Shanklin, asking the mind of God to remember in us that each soul is yielding as fully as it knows how. So when we take the revolutionary act of deeply listening to the stories of those opponents, of those others, we bring ourselves back to that place of wondering once more about them and about the way that God is demonstrating in, through, and as them. And so revolutionary love of opponents requires us to Um, transform our feelings of rage and anger and move to that place where we can deeply listen and understand our opponent. The second leg of the revolutionary love tool. But you see, we can not only choose to love our opponent. That, too, will not work. That is um, not going to be healthy for us either. We must also choose to love ourselves. And that's where we are this week with our ideas, the third leg of the stool. And while loving others in that revolutionary way, keeping our eyes open to wonder, may not be too challenging, especially when there's no emotional charge to it. And while loving opponents is a little bit harder because now there's that emotional charge that we want to push that opponent away, loving ourselves may, in fact, be the most challenging part of revolutionary love. So many times I hear people say, it's easy for me to forgive someone else. It's so much harder for me to forgive myself. It's easy for me to change my mind about what I'm saying about another when I find myself in those places of judgment and criticism. It's so much harder to change it when I'm uh, putting it, pointing that in my own direction. So I, I really think that this segment of revolutionary love, loving ourselves, may be the most challenging part of revolutionary love. And yet, it's what we each need to do in order to be effective. Self-love. Revolutionary love of self. Here's how Imelda Shanklin ends this little passage that I'm sharing with you. Let us pray God's love to be patient in us if things seem not wise or right. Let us pray God's wisdom to prompt us to feel that He is working everywhere to radiate His glory from this planet. Let's pray God's love and patience and understanding within us. In these particular chapters of our book, See No Stranger, which is, of course, what we are basing our fall program on. Valerie Carr talks about the practices of breathing and pushing. Breathing and pushing. Back in 2016, as Valerie was developing these ideas in her mind, caught up in the darkness that she perceived within the world at that moment in December of 2016, 
she had this idea in mind that she speaks about, that in the process of this darkness that feels like the darkness of the tomb, if each of us can be at work doing what is ours to do, to breathe in this moment and then push through the work, we can transform it from the darkness of the tomb to the darkness of the womb where something new can be reborn. And so this idea of breathing and pushing is a way for us to be in revolutionary love with ourselves. Valerie reminds us in the book that breathing is something that we carry with us that moves us clearly into this moment. I have often said in leading prayer or meditation that as we focus on our breath, we remember that I cannot breathe in the past and I cannot breathe in the future. I can only breathe in this moment, this here and this now, which is also the only place that eternity dwells in in this here and now moment. And so we can use our breath to breathe and center ourselves here in this place. And what we are invited to with revolutionary love is that when those feelings arise within us, those feelings that are uncomfortable, those feelings of distress, those feelings that we want to push away, that we sit instead with those feelings and simply breathe through them and through the uncomfortableness that they represent. Any, any woman here who has gone through labor, through that breathing portion, <laughs> knows that you know, if we're reminded to breathe in this moment, it's to breathe through the pain of it, it's to breathe through the moment of it, knowing that uh, 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 calmness will return, but first we have to get through this moment, and so we do so by focusing on our breath, by bringing ourselves fully into this body and into this experience. Breathing that becomes so shallow when we are in distress or anxious. Science tells us that when that happens, our breathing stays very shallow in our chest and that it can be so helpful if we can take that deep breath and allow it to calm us down. How many of us have told ourselves or our children to count to ten before reacting? Why? So that we can pause briefly and breathe. Neuroscience has shown us that the amygdala, which is within our brain, is that which is responsible for our fight, flight, or freeze response. When I was watching the little video from Valerie Kaur and Parker Palmer that I um, mentioned last week or the week before, uh, that Valerie talked about in there the amygdala's response. And what happens is, and this has been studied, when we see something that brings up a, a past feeling of fear within us, our amygdala immediately goes to work, not consciously, but immediately goes to work to help us to know whether this moment is calling for us to freeze, to flee, or to stand in, um, or, or to, um, <laughs> sorry, please, freeze, or flight. Did I get them all? I'm getting confused myself now. She tells us in that little video that when um, science studies our biases, what happens, now this happens before we even have any conscious awareness of it, when we see an image of something for which we have a bias. So, for example, I took a couple of months ago, back in July, the test that Harvard had for race, racial bias. 
And what you're shown are these various pictures, and you have to make a response as quickly as you can. And what happens, what they notice is where your biases are, because our amygdala immediately has its response before we even have any conscious thought about it. And that's why I can say, well, I don't have racial thoughts. I don't um, uh, discriminate based on race. And yet, when I took that test, it was very clear to me that I do have that bias. Because my amygdala's response is automatically to create another when I see someone of color in my mind. But Valerie tells us in that video that we can overcome that amygdala's response. And that we can overcome that amygdala's response when we are willing to sit with that image and wonder about that person or about that situation. Our amygdala response of freeze, flee, or fight can calm down then, and our frontal cortex here of reason can, can, can now come into play. And in that way, we can overcome our biases. And in that same way, we can become aware of those things that we are moving through that bring up within us that amygdala response when we are caught up in Things that re-bring about trauma in our lives. As Valerie shares in these particular segments of her book, the trauma, again, of the um, uh, sexual experience that she went through early on in which she was violated that kept coming up within her, that amygdala response that immediately took her to freezing or fleeing as she was able to sit and breathe through it and work on the healing of that trauma, she was able to come out of the other side where she could push into a new experience. But first, first, she had to be willing to do the work of self-revolutionary love to heal that emotional trauma that was taking place within her. I don't know how you can be a human being walking on this planet without having a traumatic response to something. Each of us, from the time we were little and born till the time that we are now, have gone through many, many experiences. And some of those experiences have lodged within our very selves as the traumas that they are. I was talking with someone this week about how different each of our traumas can be. Some can seem so benign, and some can seem so huge, and yet for each individual person, whether that trauma that I would judge as benign or that I would judge as really horrible, that person going through it still has whatever that trauma is lodged within their very selves. The trauma that I became aware of that was behind the thoughts that I was living in my life of that amygdala response was a very benign trauma that happened at four years old that really people would look at it, I look at it today and go, what trauma? But to my little four-year-old mind it was. You see, at four years old, my parents as immigrants of the Netherlands, my mother went with my little sister who was one to the Netherlands for six weeks. And she didn't take me. I got left behind along with my brothers. My brothers, who were school age, got to stay with my dad. I got sent to my aunt where I was very well cared for. As I said, to a normal 
intellectual mind, there's no trauma here, but to my little four-year-old mind, I thought that I had been abandoned by my mother and there was something wrong with me that I didn't get to stay with my father and my brothers and that I didn't get to go with my mother and my sisters. And therein lodged this idea within myself that made its way into the cells of my body that there must be something wrong with me. And this idea was there for a long time without my understanding that amygdala response simply showing up as amygdala responses do without my realizing why it is that I'm reacting to things, thinking that I'm not enough. But maturity, spiritual maturity, emotional maturity, healing of traumas invites us all to recognize that we have the power to overcome whatever those traumas may be in our lives by revolutionarily loving ourselves and allowing ourselves to feel whatever the feelings are and then to say, okay, am I safe in this moment? Can I breathe in this moment? Can I understand in this moment? Can I heal in this moment? So that that trauma can move me from that place of the amygdala response to my prefrontal cortex where I can think about it differently. And now I can move from that awareness of that trauma into a mindful choice of how do I want to show up in this moment, not from that reactionary fear, flight, or fight response, but from a conscious choice to understand in this moment, to wonder about this moment, to think, isn't this interesting? how complex life is that I could allow this experience of my little four-year-old self to still be impacting me 50-plus years later. And if this is true for me in that simple, benign childhood experience, imagine each one in our lives and the experiences that they have gone through that we know nothing about and that are moving them into reactions that are impacting us and that we want to then rise up in defensiveness and push them away if we could instead stop and breathe in that moment and recognize, here, I am safe. Here, I am breathing. Here is that feeling. But that feeling is not the truth of me. And if we can breathe in that. Then we can find what it is that we need to release and to let go of so that we can show up in this place once more of centeredness, of wondering, of being filled up ourselves. Of breathing and then pushing the transformation into demonstration. Our power for today is that idea of renunciation that we all have the power Margie spoke about it in her prayer. Corey spoke about it in his meditation. We all have the power to release those ideas that do not serve us. But first, we must become aware of what those ideas are. And we do that as we allow ourselves to sit and breathe in this moment. Feel the feelings that are present. Remembering whatever is there to remember. And then allowing the transformational healing to take place. This is what happened with Valerie. As she uh, worked through that trauma of the sexual violation that occurred with her cousin and, and had a healing around that. It requires us to be willing, to be willing 
to be present to what is. To be willing in that presence to recognize that that spirit of the divine that is within me is within you. That the mistakes that I have made do not define who I am any more than the mistakes that you have made truly define who you are. Now, the other thing that I feel like I have to say here in regards to this revolutionary love of self is that there are traumas. Mine was pretty benign. But there are traumas that are not so benign, that are very big. And those ones who violated you in those traumas may not necessarily have a place in your life anymore. Revolutionary loving of others, of opponents, of self does not mean that we also don't have healthy boundaries that we place around ourselves. We can love that one from a distance without them being present fully in our lives here. Because revolutionary love of self might require that we create those healthy boundaries. But in the process of creating those healthy boundaries, we also become willing to release from our mind's eye that that other person is just that experience, just that action, just that thought, just that word. They are more than that as we are, and we are willing to remember that with one another. And that's what will move us into this revolutionary love process where we can reimagine a world that works for all. We can imagine love being the ethic that we as humanity are living 25 years from now. And I will also remind us all that that was a 20-plus year process that Valerie went through with her cousin to sit with it, to breathe with it, to experience it, to open to understanding and to be willing to step through to the other side and release it from her life so that she could live from a place where that trauma was no longer being the reaction behind the reaction, but that she was mindfully making a different choice, a choice to love. So, that's a lot. And what I want us to remember this week is that there is so much that can happen if we are just willing to be with our breath, to be in the breathing, to let ourselves experience being in this body, being in this moment, being in this love that we have for ourselves. And so that is where our practice is going this week. Now, as a reminder, we do still have a few bookmarks. Oops, I must have pulled it out of my book. We do still have a few bookmarks left out here at Unity Hall. People are still sending me those pictures of how you are intending to show up this week. So thank you for those. I had a couple more of those this week, and we've added them onto our web of intentions. And uh, you can, as well, continue to fill out your intention card today. Take a picture. Email that to me to Joanne at UnitySpiritualCenter.com, and then your intentions will get added to the web for next week. So what are we doing together this week? Our practice is to take a few moments each day to slow down and focus on taking one slow breath after another. This is how we calm our brain. This is how we move beyond those reactionary ideas. This is how we move beyond seeing another. We take the time to close our eyes, relax our face, loosen our jaws, curl your toes, relax your body, experience your breath. 
Feel yourself in your body. Feel the cold air as you breathe in and the warm air as you breathe out and set the intention to practice this on a daily basis going forward. The breath we take with us everywhere. The breath is that which unites us to one another. The breath is that which can calm us and center us in this moment. The breath offers us the opportunity to get still and to gather up the energy that we need to do the next part, which is the work of pushing. Pushing into action the ways that we will show up so that we can create that world that Dedry sang about today, the world that works for everyone. I know that you and I are both willing to do our part. I'm going to close today with our scripture once more from the Sikh Little Granth Sahib. Humility is the word. Forgiveness is the virtue. And sweet speech is the magic mantra. Let us be humble. Let us walk in forgiveness. Let our words represent that. And let us breathe together so that we can be ready to do the work, to push forward into the transformation. Thank you, and God bless.